0: Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Uh, The youth, uh, their goal is to try and make me laugh. So we got two big goals here. Don't laugh. And, and be able to focus on teaching the whole time. Uh, as you can tell, the youth is here, and isn't it so cool to see the youth stand up, um, do a worship, give them a round of applause, that's awesome. Yeah, um, one of the coolest things about my job, um, you know, I went to a couple conferences and they're like, man, being a youth pastor is very difficult because you never really get to see the fruit of the ministry because then you kind of like, they move on to their life and then they kind of go from there. But I really do um, disagree with that statement and you guys got to share in that to see what God is doing um, in this next generation, a generation that is, um, that has probably a lot of, or they do have a lot of heavy struggles. And so to see God work should be an encouragement and, and definitely encourage those guys. So um, a couple of things before we get started. Uh, if, you were, if you are new here, uh, please fill out an info card. We'd like to get in contact with you. Don't worry, we're not spam. Um, this really just helps us out, build, a, uh, build relationships, reach out, help find needs. We have lots of different ministries going on here in the church. And then if you uh, grabbed a box for Operation Christmas Child, um, Angel wanted me to ask that it's about time to return those boxes uh, back to Children's Ministry. So next Sunday, or when you guys are available, please make sure you, you get those back. And then real quick, who was here for Fall Festival last night? I was curious, yeah. I, uh, I used to be an in and out manager, and we used to have like, I mean, you know, if you've been there, you know it's busy. It feels like a lunch rush. That's what it felt like last night at the carnival games. I was like, oh my goodness, it's like a line out the door the whole time. Um, But it was absolutely awesome. Um, It was awesome to see a lot of new faces, kind of see us kind of reach out to the community a little bit, um, see the kids in the costumes. And um, at one point, because I was kind of running that building and Micah was over here, I was like, man, everyone must be over here hanging out with us. And I asked Micah, he's like, no, we're slammed over there too. So (laughs) once again, it's pretty cool to see CS, CSB Hilltop Church, where we can be a light for the community, we can be a shining city on a hill. So thanks for coming out. If you guys came out and supported that or had fun, um, or if you guys volunteered, thanks, thanks for all of that. Um, I miss who won the, the, the uh, chili. I heard it wasn't my canned chili, which I'm a little Micah won? Did you really win? That's why he planned the chili cook-off, it was his idea. He just wanted to flex on everyone, got it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right, so Kurt um, is off this Sunday. He's been off the last few. um, He's here, but um, because he was in the Czech Republic on a mission trip and he's got some photos next week uh, to kind of show you guys. And then if you've ever traveled to Europe and then returned, it always takes like three or four days, especially if you're over over the age of 20, uh, to kind of recover, get back into the norm of things. So uh, he'll be back next Sunday as we finish up the next chunk of Hebrews. Um, A couple weeks ago, I was supposed to teach up here, and I got sick. I don't know if it's something I ate or what, but uh, make sure you—my dad, it's such a blessing to have him here at the church. I called him at 4 a.m. and sent him my slides, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do because it's going to be rough, but um, he did a great job, and thank you so much for that, too, so I apologize for that as well, but we're here now, and Siri's trying to talk, so, okay. All right, so um, we're going to be digging into another warning here today in Hebrews, And unfortunately, uh, sometimes Christians or churches in this day and age don't like to talk about kind of the dark side of the gospel, so to speak. And I know it's kind of like the good news, but the dark side of the good news, which is those that don't receive the reward of grace. It is a big part of the Word of God, and, and it's something that we're not going to, or something that we are going to talk about here. And so there is, there is a, it's a pretty tough message here today, but it's also a happy message as we talk about um, being rewarded with grace and the power that that has in our lives. As we dig into Hebrews, um, a couple points, and this isn't all of them through Hebrews so far that we need to focus on before we dig into this. The first is that Jesus is exalted overall; He is God. And if you're a Christian or you grew up in the church, this should be no big news to you, right? Um, it was common in, in this first century Jewish culture to believe that the Messiah um, would have been been at a lower rank than angels or even the same rank as angels. It seems kind of silly to, to believe that now, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus died, rose from the dead, but we do it all the time. Sometimes it's just not out front. Sometimes we, we, we have moments of weak faith, Or especially in our current culture, we have moments where the enemy is constantly trying to diminish the power of Jesus and his deity, to say that these other things matter more than what his message, to try and take it out. So it's really important for us to remind ourselves that Jesus is exalted over all. That means he's exalted over any truth out there, any, any other belief, any other moral standard. And so, as we dig into this part today, we need to understand that the authority that, that comes from grace and the authority that comes from judgment is based off of Jesus' power. We talked about the power of his rest, something that would have been really well known to these first century Jewish people and should be very well known to us, right? He delivers them out of Egypt into the promised land. Now we have this promise of this eternal rest. And you've got to think about the power of that by thinking about what in life causes us not to experience rest now, right? We have mourning, we have grief, we have sadness, we have sickness, we have death, we have decay, we have all this stuff that's kinda of going on around us, this is restlessness. And so well, there's a promise for us now that we will enter into a rest where all of that horrible things that have been done and every person in this room has experienced will be undone. But there's warnings through Hebrew that we won't receive that rest due to unbelief. If you wanna know the power of belief in Jesus, look at what Jesus did. We see different individuals come up to Jesus, some were probably not the most righteous people in the world, some were very righteous, very good people in society, yet Jesus kind of chose that their faith and their repented heart is what actually saved them from that. So the warnings of belief are very serious, the warning of falling away, warning of standing your ground, not becoming another casualty of culture, casualty of the world, but standing your ground and following God. We talked about how Jesus is the new high priest, and the high priest was um, the representative between man and God for the old covenant, right? He'd go into the, the temple one day a year, he'd make a sacrifice, he would atone for the sins of all the people, but now Jesus does that, but he doesn't just go into a man-made temple, right? He goes into the house of God, and he does that eternally. And then, we also talked about how God refines our faith, and he wants us to mature in that. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about discipline. Right? That God disciplines us. Now, discipline has gotten a bad name for itself, right? Because discipline sometimes is linked to abuse. Um, so, when we face hard times, we face trials, we face griefs, we face persecution, we look at that like God is disciplining us. Not that He's physically doing that stuff to us, but He's taking the consequences of this world to refine us and make us stronger, just like our parents did. So, there's this importance of growing in your faith. Not just being a stillborn Christian, growing in your faith, maturing in your faith. And there are two big elements that go into that. And we're going to talk about one of them at the end of the passage today. But the first is prayer, right, relationship. And the second is worship, not just singing, but the way you live your life, so what you bow down to in your life. So the question, well, not the question, I'm sorry. So the three examples that we look at that this book was written to and these first century Jewish people fall under these three categories. The first were people that believe Jesus is the saving one, but they continue to follow the old covenant. They didn't turn from their old ways. They're like, okay, it makes sense. He fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled everything that was going to happen, but we're still going to hang on to our old ways. We're still going to hang on to what we used to live for. The second uh, were people that were on the fence about Jesus. They weren't really sure if he was the saving one. They're kind of questioning it. They're on the fence. This kind of makes sense, but I can't let go of this. And it kind of goes back and forth. And then the third are people that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he could not save or bring a new covenant. They rejected it. They're like, I'm not buying it. We're still going to live in our old ways. We're still going to continue on with that. And so it's important to know as we go, <laughs> we're getting to the passage, I promise. Before we get into the passage, um, to understand what, the issues that these people were having, because they, they link directly to where we are at now, especially in our culture. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? Once again, if you've been a Christian for a while, pretty simple, right? Oh, he's God. He's Lord of my life. We get used to kind of the Sunday school answers, so to speak. But probably a deeper question I ask yourself is, what is the value of God's grace to you? Look at your past. How has God changed you? What value do we hold? Is that number one priority in our life? Should it be number one priority in our life? Is it something we can't live without? And then that will reshape your question. Who is Jesus to you? So that's what we're going to be focusing on as we talk about the reward of grace and we dig into this passage. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for the freedom to come together, worship you, learn more about you, and Father, I pray that all of us today, whether we feel convicted or are comforted by your love for us, Father, that um, we'll turn our eyes to you. We'll be aware of the culture around us. We'll be aware of the world around us. We'll also be aware of the need that this world has for you. And Father, uh, pray we'll take away distractions as we focus on you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we start off in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So, right off the bat, the author starts out with this example from Exodus 19 about Mount Sinai. And it was this very terrifying picture where they couldn't even touch the mountain because the mountain became this righteous dwelling place of God or else they would die. And so we see that we get this imagery of fire and smoke, which in the Old Testament usually resembled judgment. It's also in the book of Revelation. Gloom and storm, which means separation and anger. A great powerful voice, which was terrifying to hear. And even to the point where Moses was terrifying. So, we see people who come before God, or they see God, or even angels within the Bible, and they respond, and and they just instantly get scared. They get very frightful. Even John, like, passed out. He was so terrified um, when Jesus came to him before he he wrote the book of Revelation. And I used to always think, well, that's just because God is so mighty and overwhelming, which is true. That's, that's part of it. But after doing, uh, this stu- after doing the study for this sermon this morning, something else started sticking out to me along the themes of that, is that what I started realizing is what really makes this really terrifying is being in the presence of a holy and perfect God with where we are at as a sinful people. And so this becomes a mountain of judgment. And it's a scary, it can be a terrifying thing because no matter what we do to cope, no matter what denial we're in, we still have to kind of face up to the holy and perfect God. This is a place where the Old Testament was given to them. Right after this, the Ten Commandments and the process of the Old Testament was given to them. Revelation 20, we, we see this like mountain of judgment, but we're kind of compare it with this throne of judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And that's probably the most scary verse in Revelation, is the dead were judged according to what they had done. So if you're before this frightful mountain, thunder, you know, separation, anger, terrifying, even Moses was terrified. You are now before this throne because now you're being judged with where you are at with your sin. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone's name was not found. Written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And it is a terrifying picture that we put here. But this is what we, where we see the old covenant kind of get built off of. If you were here, I taught a couple of months ago, I put this illustration of, of the covenants up there to kind of help understand that God sets up these covenants because guess what? Perfect and holy God, sinful people, very scary experience, but we've we got to have some way to have a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with us, so we set up this covenant. So he requires us to keep commitments, and then God will keep promises. So the old covenant, he says, obey the law that I've given to you. Obey the law of God, and he will protect and bless Israel. This is where we see the throne of judgment, just like in our society, right? We have laws that are given to us. If I go mobbing down the road and I get a speeding ticket which has never happened to me yet. Actually, I don't mop, but I mean, I haven't gotten a ticket. Um, but if I go through, I'm going to have to go before a throne of judgment um, and atone for that. Somehow. I'm going to have to pay a fine. I'm going have to have to pay that. That, that. That's what the old covenant was set off of. And so it is. It's kind of like, a, it, it's a terrifying experience to come to the reality that we have a holy and perfect and righteous God that's attempting to have a relationship with a, a sinful people. But there's good news. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. After reading the first part of this, it's like, okay, that's good. (laughs) So we don't become, we don't come before a throne of judgment through Jesus. We come before a throne of grace. It's a completely different picture. It's talked about as heavenly, which means welcoming and graceful. We see angels in joyful assembly. There's no more fear. It's a joyous, it's a happy experience. We see Jesus is described as the firstborn again. He was in chapter one, basically meaning that he has authority over all creation and a birthright over all creation, and that there's no more fear because God has forgiven you and given you confidence in your salvation. So we see this mountain of judgment, right? And we kind of compared it to the throne of judgment, but now we see this mountain of grace that is Christ. And we'll kind of compare it to the throne of grace that we see at the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful picture that we see here compared to the throne of judgment. We see the new covenant here, right? Once again, God is working through history in order to have a relationship with his people, to have a relationship with you. We've got to keep our commitments, and God will give us or, or keep his, his promises. So with the new covenant, we're told to believe. And so we want to believe that Jesus is real. We want to believe that he can change our lives. But we really want to believe in his truth. We don't want to put our hope. We don't want to stand on a rock of this culture or any other truth out there that goes against him. But we're told to believe the word of God as truth. Then we're also told to repent. And Repent just means to turn turn from your old life. Don't continue in your old life. Continue in this new path as you follow Jesus, and you're not just a fan of Jesus. And if we can do that, if we can devote our lives to that, build our lives on his truth, then we will be made righteous eternally, and this is the throne of grace. So there's one big difference that we see between the throne of judgment and the throne of grace here. And it is a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) It's Jesus, right? It's the pinnacle. And he's going to explain it a little bit further right now. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You will come before God. He is the judge of all. And all sin that you've done will be held accounted for. Because God is just. The difference is, has Jesus taken that punishment for you? Or are you going to take it on yourself? Are you going to come before the throne of judgment? Or are you going to come before the throne of grace? Jesus' blood was a better sacrifice than able, therefore Therefore, through Jesus, we don't face a fearful judgment. We have confidence that his grace is enough for us. Remember back in Hebrews 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with Confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What great news is that? Because there's so much fear when you take Jesus out of the picture, right? There's so much fear, even if if you don't believe in God, just being left to your own devices, being left to where this world is headed, right? But we don't do that. With Jesus, we gain confidence that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And we go before a throne of grace. We don't go before a throne of judgment and anxiety. But there's a warning. And we mentioned it a little bit, but there's still a warning here. And the warning didn't start in the book of Hebrews. We see it actually pop up 1,400 years before Jesus was born um, from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will rise up for you, a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him a prophecy about Jesus' coming. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord or our God nor see with a great fire anymore or we will die. We don't want to go before a fearful judgment anymore. We don't want to go before this mountain of judgment anymore. We don't want to face death anymore. But someone is coming and you must listen to him. Fast forward to Hebrews. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. We don't deny Jesus, we don't refuse Jesus. We acknowledge that that's what he needs in our life, what he needs in our culture, what he needs in our church, what he needs everywhere. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned him on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If those who refuse the old covenant did not escape wrath, how much more severe will be for those who refuse the new covenant, for those who refuse Jesus? If you're on a sinking ship and you got a lifeboat, get on the lifeboat, if not, you're gonna sink. This is a warning that rejecting Jesus will lead to a a more serious situation than was found on Mount Sinai, where everyone was trembling in fear. Matthew 21, Jesus tells us, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus is what we need for salvation. He's the cornerstone, and if we reject it, it's going to cause problems. We are going to face that throne of judgment. Continues on in verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more... I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So on Mount Sinai, we see the voice of God shake the earth. Um, But soon, God's voice will shake all creation again, and this time, it will destroy it. All creation will become undone. I've, in this last year, I, I watched two people pass away. I was with them while they passed away. And there's nothing like death to realize that things in this world, temporary things in this world, whatever we, we put our hearts into, although they're not horrible things, it's all, it's all decaying, it's all going away, and it all doesn't matter in the end. I remember that quote someone told me, whoever dies with the most toys, toys wins. I'm like, yeah, but you still die, <laughs> and all your toys end up in a, in a, a, a landfill somewhere, right? This is, this is the destiny of the world that's going on around us. And we face the decay of the world around us. We face the decay of our own bodies here on earth. This is a terrifying picture for those without hope. Revelation 12, 20 tells us the destiny of those without hope. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And we talk about that word tormented. Sometimes you get this picture that like, you're, if, like people are in hell and Satan's like actively like tormenting someone. But what we see is this word tormented or, or, or eternal suffering is being eternally cut off from God. I hear questions all the time, how can a good God exist with, in such a horrible world? And I was, I'm like, you have no idea how bad this world would be if, if a good God didn't exist, because he's still at work all around us. That's literally the definition of hell's, and we finally take away the only good thing in our life, which is God. And so this is the destiny for those who choose not to accept Jesus. So who is Jesus to you? We'll come back to these three examples, okay? Is he the saving one? but you continue to follow in your ways. You're a fan of Jesus, but don't follow him, right? I'm a Christian, well yeah, Jesus is real, but I'm still gonna hold on to whatever truth, moral standard, I'm gonna put it before him. I don't see him as a God that is supreme overall. Well, that's a big thing in our culture, and we see that pop up because of all, the, I believe all the comfort we have in our culture. Um, I think there's a reason why countries that face the most persecution, Christians that face the most persecution have the, growing, the, high, the fastest growing number of Christians. Yet our country, it's shrinking because it becomes popular to be a Christian, but it's not popular to follow Christ. The second one here is you're on the fence about Jesus You're not really sure if he's a saving one and you're searching. It's okay to search, just don't take too long. <laughs> you're on the fence, right? You're not really sure what to believe. There's so many religions, there's so many different beliefs out there. And one way you can kind of get around through all that confusion, is just take a look at the world around you. Take a look at your life. Acknowledge your existence and then acknowledge the need and find out who is able to fix that. I came to Christ out of a a moment of existential terror when I was 11. I was canoeing and I found a dead body in a pond behind my house. And so, like I said before, there's nothing like death to make you feel more alive, right? And so, so through that, there has to be an answer to this, but there's only one who died and came back from the dead. And it's the only one over the last 22 years of being a Christian has able to shape my life for better, even in moments where I couldn't see it. The third example here is you don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he can't save you from death. You're not buying it. You're not accepting him into your life. And this is the majority of our world. Jesus tells us it's going to be the majority of our world here. So I would encourage you, all three of these examples, like I said, be aware of what's going on in the world around you. Are the things you're living for, are they actually fixing the issues that are going on in your life? Are they actually giving you real purpose or are you getting closer and closer to temporary realities that ultimately lead to death? There's a fourth group here and it's those that remember Jesus, right? Those that have accepted Jesus into their heart, they choose to follow him and they stand before that throne of grace. Therefore, since you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So just like this whole world, his voice will so speak, will be shaken, it will be uncreated. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that is what you live for. You live for eternal things. You don't, you, you don't, we, we're going to face horrible things in this world. The broken world is going to take its course. It's, it's, it's going to be horrible at times. It's going to hurt. It's going to make us sad but we don't live for that stuff. We have a hope that is eternal. We have a hope that is something that is greater. And that is the best news that this dying world could have ever had. I like this. Uh, this is a verse from a song from Matt Carney. It's called Face to Face. And uh, you, we see all this this power, this, this scary power from God on Mount Sinai, right? And um, he, he writes, this is the chorus of the song, he writes this picture of grace, and I love it. He says, I feel your thunder pouring like rain down on the mountains of all my mistakes, rolling like rivers running with grace into the ocean of your embrace. Your hand on my side leading the way, 10,000 horses couldn't pull me away. I hear the music heaven has made when we're standing face to face. And so we see like all that thunder, all that wrath of God, it's not being poured out on us, it was poured out on Jesus, it's poured out on our sin, and ultimately we get to come into the loving embrace of God. What an amazing thing that is, because when we hold to that, we can endure no matter what this no matter whatever this world can come up to throw against you. Remember this, for he has rescued us, this is Colossians, from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you're someone Like I said, in those three categories, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your life. You haven't followed him. There's a rescue there. You don't have to keep living in the dominion of darkness in this world. And we got lots of pastors in this room right now. There's myself, Roger, Kurt, Josh. Micah's here. I tried to find Micah first service, but he wasn't sitting in the first service. It was weird. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, we're here. Please come find us afterwards or or find someone. Um, We'd like to pray with you. We'd like to help you. We'd like to answer those questions for you. And if you are someone who has accepted Jesus, it's not all gloom and doom. I'm gonna go back. We wanna be thankful. We wanna be thankful that once again, we have purpose in life. We wanna worship God, like we're about to do here in a few minutes, acceptably with reverence and awe. We wanna know that he's a consuming fire, that he is powerful enough to save you. So to conclude, through Jesus, we don't have to face judgment without the confidence that Jesus' blood has rewarded us with grace. Like I said, that's the best news this world could have have gotten. Listen to the words of Jesus, accept so he won't reject. Accept Jesus into your life so that way he won't reject. Won't reject the grace that's offered to you. Grace is the best news that this dying world has ever been offered. Don't refuse it. The ship is sinking. The lifeboat's here. Get on it. And then really importantly, worship God for what he has saved you from. Whether we're worshiping God in song or you're worshiping God in your life or you're acknowledging other idols in your life that you bow down to and worship and you repent from those, you turn away from those, and you choose to worship God in those situations. We worship God in every situation in your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us here. I pray for all of us in the world. Um, we just thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. I pray that that will encourage us uh, to run towards you, to not, not keep our focus on temporary things, Father, to support each other as we live in this broken world and ultimately keep our focus on your joy. pray that all of us will live our lives to glorify you. We'll be thankful for what you've done. We'll worship you in our lives. I pray for anyone here that has not accepted you into their life that they'll listen to your calling father you'll keep working in their lives we thank you so much um, for this next generation that has stepped up and is able to help lead us in worship and 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 help just pave the way for the generation after that father Um, each person here has a gift I pray that we'll use that to bring people to you and use our lives to glorify you father and father we pray all this in your name amen